do you have any enemies? It's kind of, it's, Meredith was kind of asking that question up earlier here. It's a, it's a strange question when you get asked it. And I will tell you something, in my work with police, it's one of the questions that police will ask people after a crime's been committed. Do you have any enemies? And I remember the first time somebody asked me that question, I sat there and thought, well, no, then maybe there are, there are people who disagree with me. It's a tough question. Do you have any enemies? In February, I went to the Chu Chui tunnels in back, back in Vietnam. And it's, today, it's kind of a, it's a tourist site now. It's kind of almost like a national park. But back in 1966, the United States 25th Infantry, Infantry built a base right on top of a series of tunnels that the North Vietnamese were using to transport troops into the Saigon area. And thousands of people had died in the place that this park is today. It's a, it's a battlefield monument today. And it's a tourist attraction for people all over the world. And so this, this is the way, this, is, this was my guide who kind of gave us a, a tour of this, of this park. And he and I were born in the same year, same year, and it was just as though the war was winding down. And today we're both married and we have two kids, both about the same age. We found out we're both Star Trek fans, which we, we, so we talked Star Trek, and we're both history buffs as well. So we kind of connected. We, we spent some time together that day. And we talked about how, how our parents' generation had fought this brutal war that claimed the lives of 1,300,053 or 353,000 souls died in the, in the years of that war. And here is a, a picture of the way uh, uh, he was showing me how you could go into these little holes and how they would disappear down into the tunnels. And you could go down, they've rebuilt the tunnels, you can go around them, and you can see that just feet underneath the surface, there were whole dining halls, but it was horrible living under there. But they lived down there for years, right underneath a US, a US military facility. It, it's an incredible story. And so that night, we sat down for this incredible dinner of prawns. I love prawns. So, they, um, so he and I, we sat down, and at dinner together, we were in this spot that had been a battlefield when we had both been born, but now was a national park. And we talked together about what drives people, like the two of us, to see each other as enemies, to kill and to die. Jesus visited a Samaritan village called Sychar. For centuries, Jews had fought wars with their neighbors. They, you know, there are all these little kingdoms around, around where, the, where Jews lived, and they had fought wars. But the, the Samaritans were just a little bit different, though, than the other tribes, because like Jews, Samaritans were Israelites. They shared a common ancestry. They worshiped the God of Abraham and of Jacob and Moses. But a civil war, followed by wars that went on for generations, had divided the people. And as a rule, by Jesus' time, Jews and Samaritans avoided one another, and they distrusted one another. They were taught to see each other as enemies. Jesus had to go to Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, 
which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. The Samaritan woman came <clears throat> to the well to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with one another. Jesus knew the rules. You don't associate, you don't consort with the enemies. It's not safe. But Jesus, if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus sought out opportunities to, to break rules like this. He consorted with untouchables, Roman occupation officers, Samaritans. Jesus had a whole attitude in his life that a stranger was just a friend you hadn't met yet. But not so much with his followers when they arrived later. Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking to her? John 4, 27. They were all shocked, but they knew better than to, to challenge Jesus about his way of just talking to anybody. He was just going to do it anyway. He didn't care what anybody else thought. And at first, Jesus actually kind of irritates this woman. Now, because she has hiked up this hill to get water at noon, and some rando asks her for water, and he might be hitting on her too. She doesn't know. Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. At this moment, during this encounter, these two are alone at the well. And Jesus is telling her that he is offering her the solution to her problem. And she's alone. Now, in pretty much every culture around the world where people will go to get water each, each day, women usually go in groups together because it's, it's safer and it's kind of nicer you're with other people. But this woman is alone at noon. She has been judged and ostracized by other women. Jesus said to her, go, get your husband and come back here. <clears throat> the woman replied, I don't have a husband. You're right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with now isn't your husband. You have spoken the truth. The woman said, sir, I see that you are a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you and your people say it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship God, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. God looks for those who worship this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. You can kind of see what's going on with her. She's making the calculation that Jesus is actually a prophet. Not a creepy stalker, but a prophet. And she leaves to head into town to tell everyone about her experience with Jesus, about how he is the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus prophesies that the day of salvation, and they use that word, day of salvation, has come to reunite Samaritans and Jews. But how does that day come? How do people go from being, being enemies to becoming friends? Now, if Jesus' way shows anything, it means that you've got to lead people who disagree with you or dislike you or disapprove of you. Jesus had to go to a Samaritan village. Many Samaritans in that village trusted Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to see Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe of Sorry, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one true Savior of the world. For those of you who remember this, it, it took Nixon to go to China to start a process of conciliation. Because it is only when you choose to get up close it's only then do the stereotypes and the, the assumptions that we make about all of those that we consider to be different fade away. It's only when things get up close and personal that those who were they become we. And we become more personally committed to working for a better world for all. Zwei told me about his experience of meeting with veterans from both sides of the war to come to the place that we were at and to have dinner. And here's the thing. If you ever have a disagreement, meeting somebody in, over a meal is a smart idea. There is something powerful about just sitting down and sharing a meal together. Jesus knew something about that. He had seen these older men break down into tears and embrace one another who people who they had once tried to kill. And he had heard open and honest stories about decades of anger that some of these men had held onto that just ate away at their souls. 
And even in those situations where a person couldn't find a sense of salvation, a sense of true peace, Dway had never seen somebody leave the table wanting to kill or hurt the other person they were eating with. And that's a step. That's a big step. Right now, you, are, you and I are living in a time where leaders of the, of the land talk about threats of civil war, about this nation de devolving into that. We are divided. And many people, I mean, I hear this on a weekly basis, and I'm guessing you do too, that people are dreading this year and a half that's coming, just wondering if we can just, hoping that violence doesn't break out in the next year and a half. And like in Jesus' day, we live in communities in which people will cut off the bonds of family, of love, over politics in a, in a heartbeat. They'll just do it. And I have seen this happen way too often in the last few years. I've seen mothers cut themselves off from their kids. And it hurts my heart. And even more, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for us. Just in the past couple weeks, a few hundred feet from our church building, one neighbor over here decided to take and dump garbage bags of garbage on the mayor's lawn. He was mad. He did leave a, a card, though. I, I, that, was, that was nice. Um, you and I, we have a responsibility that goes along with being a follower of Jesus' way to do what we can to the best of our ability to live at peace with all people. And that doesn't come from avoiding uncomfortable situations or talking to people who dislike you. So I went and I talked to our neighbor about that. And it was a reasonable conversation. Jesus' way of, of living that the way that we proclaim compels us to leave our comfort zone and to get up close and encounter those who you suspect dislike or disagree or maybe really dislike you. Because this, this is how we find our salvation. This is how we are saved from the suffering that hate and anger and fear will bring. This is how we follow Jesus' way and find that sense of salvation right now. And each one of us, we have a responsibility to seek opportunities to build peace. Here's what I can commit to you. The resources, this, this church building itself, the technology that we have. It is here for you. If you are here, you're connecting online today. If there is an event that you can imagine, an event that you see necessary that brings people together with the core values of Jesus, to come together for justice or mercy, to promote nonviolence, inclusivity and compassion, the resources of this church community are at your disposal. 
You want to host a dinner to give people who disagree about affordable housing? There's a lot of that in this neighborhood right around here. You want to give people a chance to come in and rather than scream at each other at a council meeting, but to come in and have a meal together downstairs, just so happens we have a killer kitchen ready to make meals for that purpose. That's what we're here for. You want to reach out to people of different faiths and invite them maybe to come, we've done this before, to come to our Thanksgiving meal this year. We inv invited the Turkish families for years to come to come and, and, and break bread with us over our Thanksgiving meal. Even though we know we have to get halal meat, we would do that. That's, we have those, those meals. You can make that happen. You can be the person to extend the, or extend the invitation to the Dialogue Institute. You can do that. Do it if that's what God calls you to do. This church community exists, as we say each week, we exist to extend the influence of Christ. Peace. Those core values into the world. And each one of us, every one of us, we have the responsibility to do to the best of our ability to make that happen. And I will commit to the best of my ability that I will help you when it comes time for you to step into that role. I will help you with that, I promise you. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you worked in Christ Jesus to show us the way of salvation, to create peace between those who had been enemies. Inspire us today to follow in his way, to be a channel to extend peace right now to leave our comfort zone and do something to bless and to save this world.